Hi, this is Dan Jurgens, and you are listening to the All Star Superfan Podcast. We talk, we talk, we talk Superman, and we know what's happening. We talk, we talk, we talk Superman, and we cover everything. Look. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's the All-Star Superfan Podcast, the podcast that explores the full 85-year legacy of the Man of Steel. I am the last son of Tremor, County Waterford, the champion of Galway, Alan Burke, and I am joined on this great adventure by the mightiest of mercenaries, the scourge of Dublin himself, Mr. Rob O'Connor. Mercenaries? (laughs) What? That's how they describe Mito in this amazing Ah, book we're about to, 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 to dive into. Um who I am sure is brimming with excitement, as you can tell there, to dive headfirst in tonight's episode in which we will examine the stellar Up in the Sky series by Tom King and Andy Kubert. Uh, how are you tonight, sir? I'm really, really good. Really just chilled out, enjoying the great weather we've been having. Uh, the listeners can't hear this but uh, or can't see this. I'm wearing a lovely floral shirt. It's very uh, Magnum P.I. Very Magnum P.I. I don't have a moustache to go with it, unfortunately. But I like to think that I have that uh, maverick av- attitude of Magnum P.I. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I don't think the listeners probably realize how excited we are just to get a little bit of sun in this country. And we've had uh, we've had some, they, some beautiful days. There wouldn't like Superman would not be able to operate in this country because we're just permanently covered in like overcast, miserable clouds. <laughs> And there's no, we all look like ghosts in this country because there's never. You don't need to go. You don't need to go to Addis Ababa to get kryptonite. Just stick them on a Ryanair flight to Dublin. To Dublin, yeah. It's it's the, the 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 climate here is miserable. It's never it's never quite hot enough, and it's never it's never like so cold that there's snow and and happy sort of winter wonderland. It's always just that miserable kind of clammy, dour nonsense weather. So when whenever we get sunshine here, everyone gets obsessed with it and gets a bit the, the weird co- the, about it. The closest equivalent I'd imagine to the US is probably somewhere like Seattle, maybe, where it rains like nine months out of the year. I've I don't heard, know if those other yeah, three months are good. I've, I've heard Illinois is kind of like Chicago and that, like there's a, the windy city and then there's a lot of rain and, you know, those kinds of places. It's definitely comparable, yeah. And then when the sun does come out, everybody just goes to the beach with a bag of cans. Everybody gets a bit strange about it, yeah. Um, um our socials, everybody, All-Star Superfan on Facebook and uh, Instagram and at All-Star Superpod on Twitter. And again, you can email us or send us a voice a voice note to allstarsuperpod at gmail.com and we will include it in the next uh, Metropolis Mailbag segment. And guys, send us the voice. We're getting loads of emails and they're great and it's lovely to read them out. We'd love to get some voice notes. Just, pit, you, you know, your phone, your, uh, your the, the voice recorder app and then just email it to us. It's- yeah, we want to hear your your sultry, sultry tones. tones. And we know, like, I've, <laughs> I've looked at the, the statistics. We have listeners from all over the place. We want to hear those funky accents. We want to hear some European voices on the show. So send them our way. Yeah, yeah. Even, like, other Irish listeners, you know, send, send, send us a all, voice. All, t- all three of them. <laughs> all three of them. <laughs> um, have you been, what have you been up to over the last while since we've last recorded? Have you been enjoying anything? Have you been reading anything? God, um, if anyone follows my, uh, my, my other Instagram, 90s Heroes and Toys, you probably know I've been going through a bit of a... Scooby Doo Renaissance of all things, Alan. Just watching you. Like, you really have. I don't know where. I I don't know what popped into my head. Do you know what it was? I found some action figures, uh, near where I work, for, like reduced to clear. It was a full Mystery Inc. gang, and I was like, "Fuck it, I really want these." It was like six pounds sterling because it was in Northern yeah, Ireland. I know the one. Uh, did you get them in Home Savers? I got them in a place called C and M, which doesn't exist in the ah. Republic. It only exists in Northern Ireland. It's a UK franchise, and they have all. They always have like um, reduced to clear stock that they got from toy shops and comic shops because they have some insane comics. Anyway, uh, watching a lot of Scooby-Doo, there's a really, really good one from like 10 years ago called Mystery Incorporated. And it's it's like a legit animated series. I was texting you about it yesterday. It's so good. I was just about to say, if, if people want to know what it's like to be me, in this relationship that I have with you, <laughs> just like that last paragraph, just imagine getting that text like yeah. twenty past eleven at night. Yeah, yeah, 
um, I actually have those same figures. I bought those figures yes. and the accompanying uh, uh, mystery machine toy for my daughter because she oh, loves be cool. <laughs> she loves be cool Scooby Doo. Um, and we were in Smiths recently, and she saw the Playmobil set. They have a haunted mansion That's set. Right. Um, well, she's too young for that now, as far as I'm, as far as I'm I know. Too old. Um, and I don't think it was cheap either. I think no. it was pretty. St- I think it was like 90 quid or 100 quid or something. Um, but yeah, you're, I, she loves the um, the two original, the two live action movies, the Sarah Michelle Geller, yeah. um, uh, Matthew uh, Lillard, Lillard, isn't it? Matthew Lillard. Lillard. The ghost. She loves those two movies and she loves Be Cool Scooby-Doo. And really, I'm not a huge Scooby-Doo guy, but uh, uh, a pup named Scooby-Doo from the 80s really kind of stuck with me and Scooby-Doo and the 13 Ghosts one. That's a good one. From the 80s, maybe even 70s. Actually... Uh, shout out to friend of the podcast, J.M. DeMatteis, who wrote a really, really cool uh, comic reboot from, it wasn't that, it was fairly recent, it was like 2016, called Scooby Apocalypse, where it's it's a very adult comic, like it's, it's along the same lines as the Flintstones one I talk about sometimes by Mark Russell. It's a really, really super dark version of Scooby-Doo where it's like... Oh my God, do they eat Scooby-Doo? They don't, but they eat other... Like, other people get eaten in it. Uh, Oh, wow. Basically, it's set in a post-apocalyptic world where Velma has accidentally released this virus that's turned all of humanity into monsters. They're bloodthirsty monsters. And the Mystery Inc. gang are the only people left on Earth and they're desperately trying to run around finding a cure. And, like, Daphne is firing a machine gun at all these monsters and it's crazy Daphne and meets Sarah Connor yeah it's it. yeah absolutely yeah Um, not quite as good as the Flintstones one but like if you like Justice League International and all that sort of stuff all the James and Mateus and Keith Giffen stuff it's very much along the same lines the same kind of kind of snappy dialogue and stuff. It's, it's a lot of fun definitely recommend that one so tonight to get into tonight's topic tonight we are talking about a book that came out or a series of books that came out between September 2019 and February 2020 and that is Superman Up in the Sky uh, written by Tom King with art by Andy Kubert. Rob tell me about your history with this book before we get into it. Uh, history with this book I'd heard for a while that it was really really good I, I kept mixing it up with Up Up and Away which I believe is a Kurt Busiek and Jeff Johns story from around 2006 which I'm also quite fond of by the way and I would love to discuss in the future but I, I kept mixing the two up and I, it, it just never got around to reading it and then finally I think I heard um, the Weekly Planet podcast which is one of my favourite podcasts they were talking about it again and I thought oh god I really got to get around to reading that and then I heard that obviously Tom King had written it and I really like tom king's batman run which we'll get back into i hope we don't lose any listeners for that because i know it's a divisive run i happen to really enjoy it at least a lot of it um and i know as well that they're making the movie version of supergirl woman of tomorrow which Mm -hmm. i'm ashamed to say is still on my to read list but that is something that i definitely do want to cover on the podcast it's something i'm very much going to be reading after after reading this one um so yeah, I'd, I'd read his Batman, a lot of his Batman run, and I really, really enjoyed a lot of that, and uh, was really, really psyched to read it. And I only read it for the first time, like last week, and I'm going to tell you what I thought about it now in a, in a second. But what, you tell me first of all, how, what, did, what did you uh Yeah, so I, I didn't I didn't follow it when it came out uh, originally. Um, I, I presume you could guess the single issues here when they were released. I know you, there was a big thing about this in the States. Are you aware of this in the States? So I you, heard something about this. Yeah, so you you couldn't guess, and I could be wrong about this, but as far as I'm aware, you could not guess the single issues in comic book stores in the US. It was a Walmart exclusive, and and I think the the the, the thought behind it was don't that like it, that. No, I don't like it either. Now I I think their their train of thought at the time was that it would kind of bring uh, non-comic book readers, you know, they would try to attract non-comic book readers who weren't going into comic book stores. But saying that, you like actual comic book readers, actual customers of these books could not go into their local comic book store and collect the single issues. They had to wait until it was released as a, a, a trade, like whenever, a year, two years later, um, which I don't like. So I, I actually don't know if in Ireland... You could get the single issues or not, because obviously we don't have Walmart in Europe. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure. But I, I didn't get it when it was originally released. When I first read it was when I got my new tablet there last year. There was a sale on. I downloaded a load of Superman books that I wanted to read. And I read this about six or seven months ago. And I absolutely loved it. If I had read this Amazing. before we had done our top three stories, I think it would be in there. 
it's it's kind of gone down in my estimation a bit because of the Walmart thing because Walmart treat their staff really badly and a lot of them are on food stamps and that really pisses me off for I've only ever been to Walmart reason. once in my entire life in Fort Lauderdale <laughs> uh, oof, a Florida man um, yeah I, I had heard that this was released in uh, giant size Superman or Superman giant or something. It, was like, it was like one of many stories so that Walmart thing makes sense and I believe there's I, I think there is a physical uh, version of it that you can buy where it's all collected now I think I'm not 100% sure. I read this on the DCU, DC Universe oh, yeah. Infinite. You can definitely get it. You can definitely get it in a in a in a in a collected edition now. Yeah, I I, I read each of the indiv- individual chapters on DC Universe Infinite and it was very pleasant experience. Yeah, and having read the book, I can kind of to, to be fair, as a book to attract non-comic book readers or non-Superman readers, it is a, actually a good book to do that with. Oh, good! I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to say the opposite thing, and I was like, "Oh no!" No, I completely agree. No, I completely agree. It is actually a good book to do that yes. because when you read it, it can really be anywhere in continuity, yep. and it really covers a lot of the characters' traits and characterizations and what's great about Superman. And I think we spoke before about I can't remember what book we were speaking. Of. Maybe it was All Star Superman. Um, or Secret Origin or something like that, or maybe even Birthright. I can't remember where we said this would be a great entry point for uh, non-Superman readers to kind of show them what the character is about. But I, I am fairly confident that this is probably one of the better books out there to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I hope this isn't controversial to say, I actually don't necessarily think All-Star is like one that you would hand to someone who's never read a comic before. I think, especially that first issue, it's... There's just so much in it. It's being thrown at you at like 100 miles per hour. And like, if you're not used to that aesthetic and that storytelling style and the way like Grant Morrison characters will just drop like loads of exposition all at once in one speech bubble, like that can be a lot for new fans. Whereas I think this is just, you could hand this to someone who's never read a comic book before, I think. And they like, you know, and there's elements of that that are a bit abstract and a bit surreal. But all in all, I think this is just... This instantly became a candidate for Desert Island Superman story for me. It's a perfect, perfect encapsulation of the character. I loved it so much. And you spoke about your history with Tom King. What about Andy Kubert? Are you familiar with his work before this? I hope I'm pronouncing his surname right, Kubert. I understand it to be Kubert, but I might be wrong on that as well. So Andy Kubert is one of the sons of the legendary Joe Kubert and his other son, Adam Kubert. I'm a big fan of both Adam and Andy. Uh, they both have very distinct cool art styles that lend themselves really really well to superman um adam kubert if i'm not mistaken penciled the last sun series the jeff johns one that uh richard donner was kind of involved in as well is the, the general zod one a really really great superman story another great one if you just sort of know the movies and stuff and you're looking for a cool superman story to read really great story uh, Andy Kubert then I think he did some I think he was involved in Camelot Falls which was one around that same time he definitely did some of the covers for that one if I remember correctly anyway he's also a great great artist and some of the stuff in this is just iconic it's some of the best Superman artwork I've ever seen so good the synopsis reads a young girl named Alice is kidnapped by aliens and Superman is determined to find her somewhere up in the sky the man of steel goes to incredible lengths in search of Alice taking on plenty of challenges along the way including boxing against Mito preventing a space missile attack and fighting alongside Sergeant Rock during World War 2 while he is away he worries about the people of Metropolis as well as the love of his life Lois Lane while on the quest to save Alice Superman can't help but grapple with an important philosophical question is he doing the right thing by saving one person instead of focusing on saving thousands? Um, which is a pretty pretty accurate synopsis. It's the story. Yeah, yeah the, the the story is so the book itself is six issues. I think there's about two stories per issue, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and it's basically what I just said there. So this girl is kidnapped in what a really dark kind of a setup. Mm. Um, so she's out playing. She's a, she's living in a foster home. Her foster parents are killed. Uh, t- I think two of the children that she's playing with are killed, and one of them is seriously wounded and brought to the hospital, and she is kidnapped. And Batman kind of puts Superman onto the case, going, you need to go and talk to this girl. I think this is something for you that requires your set of skills. And Superman goes and speaks to the girl in the hospital, and it's really kind of heartbreaking. She's a young girl, and she's traumatized by what happened. And she explains to Superman about how her 
stepsister or half sister Alice was taken up into the up into the sky, and what follows is this kind of uh, situation where Superman is grappling with whether or not he should leave Earth for the sole purpose of saving one child, one little girl, and kind of leaving Earth and Lois and his family and the people of Metropolis behind to kind of fend for themselves without him. Um, which was a really interesting question, I thought. Kind of the 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 Mr. Spock, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs mm. of the few. And how does that, how was that interpreted by Superman? Um, what did you think of that? Uh, I thought it was really interesting, but like, it was also entirely predictable what he was going to do in a good way. Like, and I think that was kind of the point. Like, the whole structure of the story to me, uh, it it even when you were reading the synopsis there, it sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds like a storybook that you'd read as a child with like, you know, a couple of words on each page and just one image to each chapter. Like, it, it's such a simple kind of mythic fairy tale of a story and even the prose and the dialogue was very much like something you get in a fairy tale and the way he'd keep repeating the same sort of but superman but superman but like you can you can feel yourself reading that in an old fable from when you were a child and and when he's having that um kind of moral dilemma in the first issue and he keeps hearing the the little girl say open the sky open the sky open it just it brought me back to like my dad reading something to me when i was very very young and that's something tom king really likes to do like there's a lot of that in his batman run as well where he'd like repeat the same sort of lines and stuff like that really really effectively and everything feels a bit surreal a bit dreamlike but in a really accessible way um you know like i, I think we, we, we talk a lot and it's it's funny because we're recording this right after we did our man of steel episode like th- th- there are so many interesting sort of quote-unquote realistic versions of superman where they they really try and imagine him as a man like as an actual guy that you could have a beer with like lois and clark or you know the snyder version man of steel definitely and there's all these versions where they really try to make him a man and this isn't that at all like this is raw refined distillation that really harnesses just the idea of the mythic symbol of what the character represents rather than trying to characterize him as someone who could actually exist and i think if you really embrace that idea it's it you know there's it's one of the best stories to do that i think this superman does the impossible and it's kind of it it reminds me again of all-star superman in that there's kind of like these 12 trials kind of situation the the 12 labors yeah yeah so each issue is kind of this obstacle that superman has to overcome in order to get to alice and you spoke of Man of Steel there. We recorded the, the previous episode we recorded was our Man of Steel episode. It might be the one that's the last one listeners listened to, but it mm. was the last one we recorded. And we had a discussion in that with Zaki about our issues with the Jonathan Kent character. And I loved the juxtaposition in this issue with Clark going and chatting to, to Jonathan Kent at the on the Kent farm. And Clark is almost trying to convince himself not yeah. to go. And yeah. he's he's done that for a while. He's he's fighting. You see him fighting with Tallow and other villains. And he's he's kind of, you know, but if I go, who's going to do this? And if I go, how are they going to manage to, you know? And he does the same thing with Jonathan. And he's standing against a fence. And they're looking out on the horizon. And he's like, you know, you know, if I go, you know, people could die on Earth and Jonathan's like yeah maybe and he's like you know and if I go there's no guarantee that I'll find her and Jonathan's like no there's no guarantee and this goes on for a while and then Jonathan goes or you know they may not find her you know she may end up on her own out there yeah and Clark is kind of left there kind of thinking yeah I have to I have to I can't live with myself if I don't go if I don't give everything I have to saving this this little girl and um, you see him taking off, and it's just this beautiful. I just, I really found that quite powerful. Of 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 Clark, like Jonathan knows that he doesn't have to be there. Clark is not speaking to Jonathan. Clark is using Jonathan as a sounding board to yeah. kind of work out his own his own thoughts and his own um, opinions on the matter. But once Jonathan points out that yeah, if Superman, if you don't go, you know, she may not be saved. That's when Superman is like, I'm going. And you have that follow-up scene then where he's talking to Lois on top of the Daily Planet. And sorry, ju- just on the Jonathan Kent thing before we move on, like mm. the beautiful, 
you know, going back to our Kean Tormi episode and the the way he was talking about how you direct a scene and the way the art needs to convey. Yes. Like it's nearly an acting performance. The artist is his role in a comic is nearly an act like that. They have to serve the role of an actor. And what I love about Jonathan in these panels is he doesn't even look bothered by what Clark's saying. Like he's so calm. He's so relaxed. He's so sure. Well, that's the way I read it anyway, that he knows exactly what kind of conclusion Clark is going to come to. And I just, I thought that was really just really great subtext there. I love that. Yeah, it's I'm I'm looking at it here and it's beautiful. You know, you can see the the sun going down in the background. Like Clark says, there's nothing to be done. They need me here, Pa. And Jonathan answers, yeah, I suppose they do. And then Clark states, who knows what's coming our way? Everything could fall tomorrow and the next day and the next. I have to hold it up. I can't just go flying off after one little girl. And Jonathan responds, no, I suppose you can't. And then Clark states, and with the whole corpse looking for her, that's the Lantern Corps, uh, they'll do more than I can do. They'll find her. And then Jonathan says, yeah, I suppose they will, unless they don't. And that's kind of when Superman realizes that it's up to him to to make sure that Alice gets home um, safely. I just thought that was a, a beautiful scene. And that's in the very that's in the very first issue. So what, what we'll do, we'll talk about there's a number of stories in it. Did you have favorites? Did you have least favorites? Um, what are you, what, what ones resonated with you the most? First of all, issue two, beautiful cover of Superman wearing boxing gloves. And he's literally fighting a guy called Mito. And I mean, if, you know, part of what I love about Tom King is like, he does beat you over the head with what he's, what he's getting. <laughs> literally at. in this, and in this, this story. It, in this, it, this is literally, it's might make, it's the might makes right fallacy. Like Mito, the mightiest mercenary, the scourge of the galaxy is like, he keeps reminding Superman, no, I'm stronger than you and you are going to go down. And like, it doesn't matter how, how long this takes, I'm going to beat you. And you know this and you should just tap out now. And then Superman has these kind of guys in his corner reminding him that, you know, he's Superman. This is just some, this is, this is nobody. This is nothing. And Superman just stands his ground. And we should, we should point out, we should point out that Superman can only box. He's not allowed to use his heat vision. He's not allowed to use his superpowers. Um, it's, it's a, it's a. And by the way, this this is all going on in his mind. Like this isn't even really happening. And th- so much of this whole arc, it's hard to tell what's real and what isn't. And I personally love that. I love these kind of surreal, abstract character studies where, you know, it's not really about the events that are transpiring or the plot or anything like that. It's just about the, what the characters and what they're feeling. And, you know, the outcome of the fight is just Superman convinces this guy Mito that I'm I'm never going to go down. You're never going to beat me. And Mito decides, well, do you know what? Eventually I'm going to fall. So I'm going to skip the pain now and I'm going to tap out because this guy, even though he's not as strong as me, I'll never defeat him. And I I, I thought that was great. Yeah. I really, really liked that story. And it goes to show the, the will of Superman because he's he's getting beat. It's like 12 rounds and he's getting beat in every single round. Like he's a bloody pulp by the end of it. <laughs> it's it's real. It's real Rocky One stuff. Like it's it's like yeah, you you will beat me, but I I'm not going to go. Down. I'm going the like distance. I'm, I'm gonna go in the distance. Um, you know, if we can skip forward a bit, purely in terms of fan service, and uh, you probably know where I'm going to go with this. There's one called Man and Superman. No relation to the Marv Wolfman story that we talked about before, but there is one called uh, Man and Superman where um and again we don't know if this is actually happening or not but superman flies through this space storm thing and he's split in two and we have a powerless clark and kind of a stoic emotionless eradicator like superman and it's just this beautiful kind of uh like a stage play like i feel like i always say that on our episodes it's literally just this kind of stoic Kryptonian Superman saying, you know, I, I, I'll i do what I can to to keep you alive, but we're not going to say that girl. Uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. I'm pretty sure he, like, pretty much says that. And he, he, he makes this big speech about how he's going back to Earth because he's uh, statistically more useful there than he is going after one girl. But for some reason, he can't leave Clark alone. There's something that keeps drawing them back together. And... um. You know, you know, so, so they have multiple debates. Clark basically embodies the humanity, the farm boy humanity of the two. 
and uh, the kind of stoic Kryptonian Superman is just the raw sheer power and the Kryptonian logic. And that they, they have all these debates about, you know, why a single girl's life matters. And so they're, they're sitting across from each other and that, that there's a campfire kind of between them. And the Kryptonian looks at Clark and he says, you make me weak. And Clark responds, you never made me strong. I think that's great. I love that. Amazing. Because that's, again, going back to what you were saying earlier on, you know, people who don't like Superman, people who don't understand Superman comics, they always say the same thing. He's too powerful. He's too, you know, Boy Scout, whatever. That is just a perfect way of, like, explaining the central conflict in Superman. Yes, he's incredibly, incredibly strong, but he's also, his humanity is what makes him interesting and compelling. And his strength is not what makes him, like, his physical strength is not what makes him a hero. And... Yeah, love it. That that's an iconic yeah. Superman line for me. Love it. I I found I found it so interesting because it's you know it's the it's the ability to do something without the will to do it, and then the will to do the right thing without the ability to do it, and that kind of internal monologue between the two of them. I thought you were going to say, and um, the final line in the story is where Clark has convinced um, the Superman version to fly them both back up into the storm in the hope that they will be reunited into what they were. And uh, the Superman says, this is idiotic. And the Clark says, this is hope. And the, the Kryptonian goes, hope is a myth used to motivate men to do what they cannot. And Clark responds, you know, pal, you almost say that like it's a bad yeah, thing. That's great. And I thought that was, I thought that was a that great is line. a great line. That- like of all of the whole thing. And look, I have absolutely no doubt they'll adapt this in some way, shape or form. If if there was one chapter in it where I was like, God, they've got to do that. Like, do that. That's an episode of Superman and Lois right there. Like, you know, straight away, please do that. And obviously, you know, we're both big fans of Superman 3, uh, you know. And, and like, this is the ultimate culmination of that, you know, the junkyard fight at the end of Superman 3. It's like the best possible, you know, reimagining of that story, I think. It's so good, that that chapter. That honestly might be my favorite chapter in the whole thing. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed and I, I, I when I when I saw when I was flicking through it and I saw that there was a story about a Superman flash race. I was like, oh, this thing again about who's the fastest man alive. But I really liked how that story was executed. Um, it's it basically narrated by Alice herself. Um, and it like he absolutely nails the dialogue of the child and it's heartbreaking. And she's, she's basically speaking about how um, the, the Flash once raced Superman and how everybody in the world was watching it and how Lex Luthor being Lex Luthor had kind of promised that if if um, Superman won, he donated billions to help children around the world. But he didn't want Superman to know, but Superman found out about it. And basically, Flash is the fastest man alive and nobody thought Superman was going to win. But he does because he is Superman and he can just somehow like pull it out of the bag when he needs to and be this, you know, miracle and just, you know, accomplish the impossible. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's her you find out at the end of the story like she's trapped and she's alone and she's using this as her anchor. Yeah. You know, her anchor to hope that Superman will save her because he is Superman. And I just thought it was a, a really, really, really well told, beautiful story about the hope that this character inspires in so many people around the world, both fictionally and in, in real life yeah a big time and and again it like purely as a like a dc fanboy or whatever like it is risky telling a story where like no actually superman would beat the flash <laughs> because like traditionally you'd always be like well you know that undermines the flash he's the fastest man alive he should be more powerful than superman but in this story it's just it works so perfectly and there's this lovely page where it's just this great big splash page of the planet earth and you just see these speed lines of like superman and the flash yeah. racing and there's all these little dialogue boxes where she's describing, you know, 10 laps around the whole world. And, you know, people had to pay to watch it. And there was places where you could sit. And he's just like, even though we're literally looking at a picture, the the the, the dialogue is also painting a picture with words. And there's so much dialogue in there that you pr- like it wouldn't probably wouldn't work in on screen. Like you wouldn't be able to get you wouldn't get away with that much dialogue. But in a comic, it's perfect. And it just... It, you can literally taste the smells or you know i'm, I'm getting carried away now. <laughs> you can re- it really puts you in in the place of this huge event and they like tom king just paints it so perfectly as well as you know andy kubert who literally paints it so perfectly um 
there's there's a darkness I find underlying this the, the entirety of the story because and it's something that uh, I have very limited knowledge of um, of Tom King's work, but what I what I do seem to know or what I do know is that uh, he does focus a lot on like trauma and you know conquering trauma and living with trauma and that kind of stuff. And I mean, like we have a situation where this girl and she speaks in this story specifically about you know, how her parents were abusive and how she was sent to homes and she was hurt a lot in those homes. Uh, she talks about how her brother died in one of those homes because he, he was sick. We find, you know, obviously her, her the other kids in the, in the step home were killed at the start. The little, you know, cute child who tells Superman about what happened, she ends up dying. There's a kid yeah. who jumps off a roof. He dies. Like, it, there's a lot of darkness in it. But that's, I, I think it's so impressive how you know, that is used to show, again, just the hope that Superman is and the determination that Superman has. And it's just, I just think it's it's superb. Yeah, and it doesn't really feel like a tonal inconsistency either. Like it feels, and it it doesn't feel like a dour story either. Like it it, it, it all kind of comes together and works in a strange way. And it, like that, you always run the risk with that kind of darkness and that kind of, you know, you, you don't want it to seem exploitative or that it's just a big body counter. Like, and, you know, a lot of DC stories do that. And <laughs> I mentioned that Scooby-Doo comic earlier on. That's really exploitative in a lot of ways. And you're just kind of like, do we really need to do that? Whereas in this, nothing, f- everything feels earned and well accomplished. And, you know, there's that lovely page then following that where going, going back on what you were saying about hope, Having hope when there is no hope is a contradiction, but Superman always has hope. And, you know, they they come back to that a lot in that everything Superman does is impossible and a contradiction and it's ridiculous, but yet Superman exists. And it's just this great metaphor for what the whole story is about. And it's like, look, it's a big cliche, but it's done so well in that, you know, there is always hope. It's a constant. It's an but, immovable object. But it doesn't, it never feels like, it never feels like they're beating you over the head with it. It, it just, whatever it is about the way it's written, it just works from start yeah, I, to finish. I would nearly say it does feel like they're beating you, but sometimes stories can do that if they do it well. And th- this is a case where I think you you are being beaten over the head, but Wyatt, but it's done so well that you, you love it anyway. You know that kind of way? Yeah. If that makes sense. I want to talk about the dark side story, if not an angel. And I want to get your thoughts yes. on this one. So this yes. is, is basically the story of Superman going to hell and making a deal with the devil himself. And in order to find out where Alice is, dark side makes a deal with Superman that and because he he's Darkseid's whole shtick is that he he wants to corrupt Superman and he wants to you know he wants to break him down, and in return for the information about Alice, Darkseid wants Superman to murder an innocent person, yeah, and to take a life. And what Superman does is he goes off and he finds an alien who is dying of a disease and is in great pain and wants to die, and wants to be euthanized. And is begging yeah. Superman to euthanize him, and he hands him a knife, and we don't see exactly what happens. But Superman then returns to Darkseid, and Darkseid asks, "Is it done?" And Superman responds because Darkseid doesn't know. Darkseid hasn't seen it. Yeah. And Super Darkseid basically says he has no way to confirm that it is done. And Superman basically says, "Well, either I have done what I said I would do, in which I have corrupted myself." Or I'm lying and I'm saying I did when I didn't and I have corrupted myself that way anyway. So it's a win-win for Darkseid. What did you think of that story? Yeah, so I mentioned at the top that, you know, like there are flaws in this story, in this whole arc. And there are things I don't like and there's things I find possibly even a little bit problematic. This is one of them. Uh, so my, I, I, I like Darkseid's conundrum and I like the idea that the, the way Superman gets around this is he goes to someone who is in incredible agony and is looking for an assisted suicide and asks Superman to grant him that wish. I actually think that's kind of an interesting thing to do and it's an interesting way around that problem and it feels it feels in line with a lot of the other things we've seen in this story and it feels very tender and compassionate and I would have no problem. I am pro-assisted suicide or dignity in dying, or, you know, whatever the correct term is. My problem with this story is the eventual resolution of it where we find out that actually, no, Superman just found a cure <laughs> and the guy didn't die at all. I think that's 
Like, in the context of this story, yes, okay, fair enough, there's always a way, Superman will find a way out of it. It's just, it's it's irresponsible, I think. It's it's problematic in terms of the real-world implications of that. You know, because there are a lot of people that argue against assisted suicide on the grounds of, well, what if we find a cure? Like, in Star Trek V, Bones like, oh, I, they found a cure for my father's death, you know, a, a month later. And you're like, that's that's not a thing that happens. And it's a reason that people aren't allowed avail of assisted suicide in real life so i just i understand what he was going for but i didn't like that bit i have two issues that come to mind with the, with the book um as a whole and this is one of them and when i was reading it the first time and again when i read it yesterday before we recorded this when i got to the end and it just ends um with does we, we we don't know what happened in the room we don't know whether superman took his life we don't know whether he's lying or not and i when i when i turned the page and next thing it was in the next story i was like oh that's a that's a really interesting place to leave it because you just don't really know what happened and i was really really impressed with that and then it felt later on because in another few issues, like you said, you find out it's it's in a it's in, and it's an issue that I really enjoyed. It's um, that I'll talk about in a while where Superman has found Alice and he's flying back through all these galaxies with her and they're just kind of communicating and getting to know each other. And we find out that Superman found a cure for this for this alien and saved him. And it was just such a cop out, I thought. And I thought it was it they really just they stuck the landing and then they messed it up and yeah, and I have to agree with you. I, I just think that, like that, I, it was just too easy an answer, you know? Yeah, and, and it's it's one of those things where, like, with certain things, certain topics that interfere with sort of real-world, difficult, ethical conundrums, I just don't necessarily think Superman is always the character to tackle those issues. Yeah. Like, I, I talked a little bit about it on Stuart's episode about Superman 4, like, nuclear disarmament. I don't I don't necessarily think Superman is the character you tell that story with because it just raises too many awkward, uncomfortable questions. Superman is not... Like, I think you can tell dark, complex adult stories with Superman, but he's fundamentally not an adult character. And this drifts a little bit too far into those waters for me, and I think it was... It was just a touch irresponsible. Like, we talked about, you know, child death and abuse and all these things. And, like, yeah, you could argue that they are irresponsible as well. I, I think this is the only really, really irresponsible thing in this story that I I didn't really think there was a place for it. And I think it would have been better without it. Yeah, originally... That, that's that's the only thing. Originally, Superman states... Um, Darkseid accused him of lying. And Superman states, if it is a lie, then I've broken my word. And if it's the truth, then I've broken my word. Either way, Darkseid, you win. Now, where's the girl? That was the perfect ending to that story, I thought. Yeah. And, and yeah, and to your point, like, the fact that we find out, oh, yeah, no, yeah, he did break his word. He lied. Yeah. So then there's no interesting kind of food for thought. Yeah. You're just literally told what happened, which is a bit... Yeah, I agree. I will tell you, we'll just talk briefly about the other um, story that I had a bit of an issue with. Now, and I'm interested to see if you have the same issue. Maybe you do, yep. maybe you don't. Um, and it's the story uh, titled Alone. And it's the one where Superman is found by an alien race and he's mortally wounded and a healer comes to, uh, they have healers basically, and the healer comes to uh, rejuvenate him or, you know, mm. tend to his wounds and he can't quite get him back to full health. And we have this scene where the, the healer goes home and he talks to his wife and he's there with his kids and everything. But while healing Superman, they have this kind of psychic, not to get, to get too much into the Star Trek, but almost like a mind melt, um, where the this alien healer can see everything that Superman has done and the sacrifices he's made and the, and the, the people he's saved. And he comes to the conclusion at the end that he is going to sacrifice his life to bring Superman back to full health because we need Superman. Um, and that's what he does. And Superman goes back to his family and says, you know, how sorry he is that their father and husband is gone. Um, I thought this was a misfire as well, to be honest, from my point of view. Oh, yeah. Really? And again, and I don't want to keep harping on every episode about how I'm a dad. <laughs> but I, I was reading that and I was like, I just uh, as as a father... I, there's nothing like Superman could literally the real Superman could wind up on my doorstep begging for help there is no way 
on earth that I would be abandoning my family to save somebody else's life if at all possible that I, I wouldn't have to. and I like I come out again from a point of view where obviously where I have a high risk job and I go to calls and I go to things and there's always this inherent risk as there is with my wife when we go to these calls or every time you put on the uniform or go out um, that there's always a risk that you're not going to come home as has happened to unfortunately so many of my colleagues but saying that to like willingly just decide yourself that you're going to end your life to save somebody else's leaving three kids and your wife at home I just thought I, I just after I just thought that was really I know it sounds really silly when I use the word unrealistic because it's aliens and Superman but it just I it didn't hit home for me at all yeah that's interesting I mean I look cards on the table I didn't have that reading on it I'm not a I'm not a father I'm not yet I'm not yet a husband at that and you know you are in a profession that I think that's a perfectly valid reading of the situation the only thing the only thing I would counter with that is Tom King is an ex-CIA officer with three children. I didn't actually know that. <laughs> so the only thing, the only kind of validity he has to tell that story is that he literally, like, now I don't know to what extent he was on the field or anything like that, but I gather he was, like, carried a weapon. Like, I I, I think he was legit. So I I think he's kind of, like, he he's, has a he, right he, to tell that story. Yeah, basically. I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. Um, um, yeah, and that's and that's the only, like, I don't think it was a bad story. I thought it was a good story, but I just found that to be a little bit, I was like, yeah, like, Superman's a great guy, but, you know, your family comes first. Um, so that's that's the only, that's the only other real, and, like, we've covered other books before where we deal with anthology, anthology stories and stuff. And yeah. we, we, we did a thing where we had favorites and we did our, you know, top two and, you know, in, in Superman Red and Blue and stuff. Like, really, reading through all these stories, like, I, as I was going through them again yesterday, I was kind of trying to find issues that I had or ones that I thought were <laughs> so far. And there just yeah. wasn't any. Like, the only one that I thought could have been left out that I really didn't get too much from was um, just a little farther, the, the Sergeant Rock one. Um, oh, I like that one as well. Do you? I really liked that one. Yeah. Now, again, I mean, I'm like me personally. I, I I've kind of a controversial thing to say as well, but I <laughs> I have had my fill of the whole American way part of Superman. Um, it, it's it's something I find. Please don't just, unsubscribe. <laughs> please please don't unsubscribe. Um, it it's something that I find less and less relevant to the character as as the years drag on in this hellish yeah <laughs> doom world we live in. But um, I I think in this particular case with that particular character of Sergeant Rock and the era that it's set in, and given the writer involved, Tom King, and you know he's the, the career he's had. You know, I, I don't know the ins and outs of his job at the CIA, but I gather if you're going to have a job like that, you're going to there's going to be a level of patriotism in you. Um, and, and he has spoken about how, you know, in spite of all the trials and tribulations America has gone through, he fundamentally does believe in America and he thinks that they can be better. And and part of where he I, I don't know, was it this or Superman Woman of Tomorrow he was referring to when he was talking about this, but part of the mindset he came to when he was writing the story was well, you know, th this is my expression of how I think we can be better. So, you know, I, I really, I, I did really enjoy that Sergeant Rock story. And, and you know, so much of this does feel like a throwback to kind of your, your Silver Age or, or those kinds of stories. And, and that, that is absolutely a, the kind of thing that would have happened in a Sergeant Rock comic back in the day. Superman would have crossed paths with him or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it, it is. I thought it was fun. The only thing with it compared to the other stories it, it was each and every other story I thought highlighted an aspect of Superman's character where I didn't really think that this one did that. Um, I kind of got... I, like hmm. he, he has amnesia. He doesn't know he's Superman. Sergeant Rock basically saves him and brings him on a mission with him because they're stuck in, you know, France or wherever they are. And, you know, they're fighting the, the Nazis. And then Superman regains his memory and flies away. Like, I didn't really see, like, if you were, like we said at the beginning, if you were trying to introduce Superman to someone, you're like, read this book and each story goes to an element of his character and why we love him and why he's endured for 85 years and why he's not boring and... I don't, I, there was nothing in that story that really I thought someone who didn't know Superman would learn anything about him from. I think the crucial bit that I took from it was that final page where Sergeant Rock is shaking hands with him and he said, I've heard there's no atheists in foxholes. As a fellow who spent a lot of time in a lot of foxholes, I don't know about this. 
But I'll say this, to get out of a foxhole, to go just a little bit further, you've got to believe in something. And long story short, it ends with him saying, and let me tell you after that day, I believe in Superman. So I don't necessarily think he's talking about faith in a higher power. I think he's talking about faith in good and hope and, you know, the, the indomitable spirit of the human spirit, the whatever. That, that That's what I think the point of the story is, like to believe in something, even even if it's just mankind I, I that's that's sort of what i took from it i thought that was nice do you, um, you have and, any history with sergeant rock like i i i'm not really familiar with the character i've seen a couple of things i've seen a i believe there's a dc short a sergeant rock dc short mm. which i enjoyed but other than that i don't really have much knowledge of the character yeah i, I don't i don't know really much of anything I, i'm very very aware of him he's someone that they kind of call back to a lot he, it strikes me as kind of like Instead of Jonah Hex in the Wild West, it's this guy in World War Two. Yeah. It's kind of that kind that's, of vibe. That's a great analogy. Um, yeah. But I, I gather that he was a very big deal. And um, it's kind of like DC's version of Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos, which was like the original, original Nick Fury before they kind of Stan Lee rebooted him as a spy in the 60s. Um, but he, he's a very, very important part of... DC's history even though yeah I don't really know much about him I was trying to remember if he was in New Frontier but I, I couldn't I, ooh that sounds like he I, I, I have a vague it's, it's been about it's been about 15 years since I've read New Frontier and I poor, I, poor, poor L. Michael Bailey is screaming into his <laughs> <laughs> send us a, Michael, send us a voice note Michael, Michael. <laughs> Michael often sends us messages where he he's does, like yeah. I've never I've never shouted at a podcast as much as <laughs> I and I can guarantee because he knows way more about this stuff than we do and um yeah, so it, like if, if if you know a lot about uh, Sergeant Rock guys, please let us know. Um, if there's any key stories that you think we should check out, we'd love to love to read them. Talk to me about the thousand deaths of Lois Lane and what you thought of the story because this really made me uh, laugh a lot. This is the one where Superman is basically stuck at the motor tax office, as we call it here in Ireland. I think they call it the DMV in the states and he's just dealing with like incompetence and bureaucracy as he's trying to get a message back to lois lane and he's like you said earlier on you're not sure if some of the stories are really happening you know we kind of get an insight into superman's mind here and he's picturing all the different ways that lois is dying um, and all the different things that are happening and he's just trying to get a message uh through to her um i i really enjoyed the story yeah, I really, really liked it. It, it reminded me of that scene in Beetlejuice. Yeah, <laughs> it did That's, actually. And, and I was like, uh, like that, that was the thing that really stuck out to me. There's that bit where they're stuck and they 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 all have a number and they're waiting, and it's like, you know, he he's got number four million whatever, <laughs> and and they're on like number two, and it just reminded me of that. And the fun fact that the guy, the alien sitting beside Superman on that first wonderful splash page, where it's all these people just bored out of their minds sitting yeah. in this waiting room. The guy sitting next to him is one of the aliens from the invasion arc. Oh, yes. I'm looking at it here, yeah. If you remember the the CW, their first big multi-show crossover arc was the invasion arc, which is based on a a miniseries from the the 80s. And I, I thought it was fun that they used him there. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's like you know she uh, Lois dies in a plane crash. She dies. She gets a bomb from the toy man, and she's blown up. She's eaten by a dinosaur. And one there's one really dark one. Um, it's the it's the Joker one. Did you did you see that's that 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 panel? Um, where it's this really really terrifying image of the Joker, and he's laughing. And in down in the corner, and I I don't think I copped this the first time I read it, but down in the corner you have dialogue from who I presume is Lois going. Clark mm. where Clark please make him Clark Clark it's just and it's real creepy looking it's a great and, looking and, joker and it's open it's open to interpretation thank goodness yeah it's open to interpretation um, uh, you know I presume it's torture or something I'm not going any darker than that <laughs> um, um, but like it doesn't take like you think it would take a lot for Superman to lose his faith in humanity but he is on the cusp here in this in this motor ta- interdim- intergalactic tax office Talking about dark, that Lex Luthor bit at the start was, again, really, really dark. And again, really, really well, quote unquote, acted. Like, I just love the look on Lex's face. So basically, he's pointing a gun at Lois. He's like, Lois Lane, beg. And, you know, Lois like, oh, he's coming. He'll be here any second now or whatever. And then uh, Lex gets angry with her because she's not, you know, begging him to not shoot. And he shoots her. And there's just this look, this wide-eyed look of utter panic on his face where he's like, why didn't you beg? Well, like, why did you make me do this? And so it was great. Again, 
like it feels like all of these scenes in isolation feel like they shouldn't work they feel like you know if if this was a scene from batman versus superman th- this would be the scene that we point out and be like that's, that's too dark for a superman story <laughs> but it just all comes together like it's just directed and you know acted i keep saying acted they're not actors these are drawings and what it, just, it is it so feels like it them. feels like a film it feels like a movie yeah. i i was laughing at the part where he his name is called he goes up to the counter and she asks his name and he's like you call my name and she's like name and he's like superman and she's like is that superman with an e <laughs> I was like, <laughs> um and yeah like it's 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 just so good and i have to say like i'm going to return to it time and time again like, and there's more stories we're, we're just kind of skipping over some of the stories and stuff but like there, there's some really 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 strong ones um and like even the weaker elements aren't that weak to be honest like you said the one about the the, the suicide the assisted suicide is probably the weakest element in it um but like it's 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 really really strong, and like at least it's oh, I can't I, I I hesitate saying this, but like at least it's it's an interesting thing to discuss. E- even like it, it its flaws are interesting to discuss, even if they are flaws. You know that there's other stories where I don't even like discussing the flaws in them because I dislike them so much. This is at least it, it's just a difference of perspective. I think. I like the fact that uh, we get to a story called The Offer where basically Superman experiences almost the perfect day and, you know, he he's, wakes up with Lois and he goes to court and puts Lex away and he's just this, you know, he ends up kind of relaxing and eating junk food with Batman and Wonder Woman. And, and we find out at the end he's basically being offered like this escape um, if he's willing to give up on Alice and he doesn't. But what I really like about this story as a whole and the overarching story is that we never see the bad guy. It doesn't matter who the it doesn't matter who the villain is. Exactly. Um, and I thought that was really to just kind of leave it to our imagination. I think is a lot more powerful than to just have it being you know Mito or any Mongol or you know whoever else is out there in the universe, Brainiac or whoever else. It's just you know this this. It doesn't matter who it is. It just matters that he gets to this little girl. Yeah, I I completely agree. And and like I'm. You know, the more we do these episodes and the more I kind of think about it and the older I get, the more I feel like it's these kinds of like character study stories that, where it's it's really the plot is kind of a small part of it. Like there are smaller stories that, I, you know, in spite of Superman's, you know, his powers are gargantuan, like and he can move planets, he can do everything. But it's actually smaller stories that are more interesting when when it comes to Superman. And I think, you know, that's why we keep coming back to the Superboy show. Like, my favorite episodes there are just these small little, you know, Lex Luthor's origin and Superboy has to put on a virtual reality thing to, you know, or like Lois and Clark, where Lois and Clark are stuck in a hotel and they have to talk about their feelings or, you know, and, and it's when they do these really, really large stories where, you know, Superman has to fight General Zod and punch him all over a city or whatever. Like, those are less interesting to me. I really, really like these just, you know, and, and that's, again, it's Superman and Lois. It's part of why I love that show so much is that they they're, they dare to tell smaller stories in spite of the scale of this guy's powers, where, you know, if you have someone like Batman or Spider-Man, they're just inherently underdogs. Yeah. So you can put them in any, put them in any situation and, you know, you can have Galactus or Thanos or whatever and it's, you know, you get away with it because it's Batman. You don't know that he's necessarily going to make it out of it. When when it's Superman, it's it's not as interesting seeing him go up against those people. It's more interesting seeing him deal with the moral quandary of how do I save this one girl? Is it worth it to save this one girl? That you really know? comes through the evolution of and the maturity of of you as a fan, I think. You know, like like you start off obviously as a kid and it's the power fantasy and it's, you know, stopping robbers and catching helicopters and, you know, stopping shuttles from crashing. But the like that, I'm very I'm very much in the same boat as you that now that, you know, I'm pushing forward, I'm thirty eight years of age and I have a family and I'm a different person than I was twenty years ago. It's the it's the moral dilemmas of Superman's life. Yeah. It's the decisions and the choices that he has to make. And this was a huge one. You know, like we we have Superman Returns where Superman leaves Earth for five years to go and find Krypton. This is a much better reason for him to have left Earth, you know? Like, yes, like absolutely. Great point. A child is gone. A child is missing. And it makes no sense. It makes no sense no. for Superman to leave the Earth 
to look for one child knowing that he won't be on earth to protect everybody else but the thing about superman is he always does the right thing and this is the right thing this girl needs to be saved and by god damn it he's going to do it and and why is he going to do it and she says it herself she says at the very end of the story like the, the, there's a, it, it ends with this great story i think where basically superman saves a, um alice and they're just traveling back through the stars and like any child i will tell you this like any child she's just bombarding him and bombarding him with questions and there's some really interesting ones and then there's some really childish ones um i actually want to talk to you about one of the more interesting ones in a second um but the one question she never asks him is why did he come and save her and the reason oh, why she never asked—that's a great observation—is because you're Superman, and and yeah. that's it, and that's and that's all we need, and that's where the story ends. Um, she says, "I bet you thought I'd ask you why, why you went all up in the sky, why you left everything behind to save me, but that's a stupid question. I'm not going to ask it because I already know." And Superman asks, "You do?" And she responds, "Yeah, it's not that hard. It's just you're Superman." And that's it. And I, I'm almost tearing up it's now lovely. reading that. It's amazing. And I want to quote a, a very different creator, but I, I, I just know that Tom King is aware of this quote. Uh, a creator by the name of Grant Morrison, you may have heard of them. Uh, adults, they say, adults foolishly demand to know how Superman can possibly fly or how Batman can possibly run a multi-billion dollar business empire during the day and fight <laughs> crime at night. When the answer is obvious, even to the smallest child, mm. because it's not real. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is both that, like that a lot of people are like, oh, that's so depressing. You know, I, I love this character and, you know, whatever. I'm like, that. that's a beautiful way to look at it, though. Yeah. It's, you know, that that can actually be the beauty of the story is that it isn't real. And this impossible perfect ideal of a hero can just exist and be this constant in the universe yeah you know and, um, and it's just like there's this the, the the final kind of battle story is about how this unnamed creature this unnamed alien who, who took alice the reason he took her was basically to understand the workings of of a human so that he can invade earth and he has all these robots attacking earth and Superman manages to stop him in space and the Justice League are in, in terrible shape and Batman is uh, screaming for help and uh, it looks like it's the end for them and then all the robots drop and what I love about it, it's very similar to that sentiment from Alice. Nobody, none of the Justice League understand what's after happening but straight away Batman knows that even though he's not there, Clark has stopped it because he's Superman yeah. and I loved that. We were in need, and he's and he's Superman. He says, and I I just think that's fantastic. And I hate bringing up kind of fanboy fan service kind of stuff, but how many fucking stories have we read where Batman pulls it out of somewhere and saves the day? Finally, we get the opposite. You know, it's like no, we spoke Superman. we spoke about it in the red and the Superman red and blue, where there's just this throwaway line about how when he was a prisoner of of war, <laughs> Batman just saved him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, and actually, on the topic of Batman and Superman, there's a great splash page where it's Batman fighting Superman, as they've done so many times. And the little girl is asking, you know, well, you know, if you and Batman fought, who would win? And Superman responds, the Joker. <laughs> and she's like, oh, no, I'm serious. Who would win? He's like, Batman. She's like, really? Yeah. And then uh, basically he reveals that Batman would win because I'd let him win. Yeah, because he, <laughs> because he needs it more he than needs, I do. <laughs> he needs it more. And, you know... You know, do I necessarily think that that's my understanding of the situation? Not really, but it's a it's a great line and it really, really works in the context of the story. There's also a great question I found when um, when she asks him about his belief in in God and yep. Superman responds. And it's very tactfully dealt with where Superman basically says that his, his mom and pa Kent believed in God. And he believes in Ma and Pa Kent. And I thought that was a really good way of answering that question. It leaves it up in the air. You're not pissing anybody off. Um, but I just thought that was really well handled as well. I would agree with that, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 something that I it, it's one of those it, one of the many things where I'm like, just just don't 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 delve too deeply into those waters. And I think that, that you're you're absolutely right. That very tactfully done. So any final thoughts on Up in the Sky? Um, no, I mean, I think we've covered everything. Just hope is a constant in the universe. It's 
immovable, unstoppable force of nature, and Superman is the physical and mental encapsulation of hope. And this story, like 99% of this story is just A plus perfect 10 out of 10. Yeah, it really is one of the strongest, strongest Superman books I have read in a long, long time. And I've enjoyed, like we are, we've said numerous times, we're living in like this, another golden age of Superman stories. There's some great books out there. There's some great writers and artists working on Superman right now. Um, But I have to say, like, this is really, really top tier stuff. And if you are a Superman fan and you want to introduce someone else to Superman, I highly recommend that this is the book that you introduce them to. And one thing we didn't say, like... uh, like the the whole Alice thing, it really kind of bookends the whole, the whole narrative of the of the series, you know, from start to finish. But you could really just kind of pick up a lot of those issues in the middle of the book and read them as just solo stories, and you wouldn't have to worry about the Alice thing at all. Like you could you could even read them out of order if you wanted to. Maybe even more so than All Star Superfan in that in yeah. that sense, I would say. Like it's actually All Star Superman, even. <laughs> oh, hey, there it is. It's the first time for everything. Other people have called it the All Star Superman podcast a bunch of times. I know that's the I first know. time I've made it. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, no, like absolutely, like one of again, All Star Superman. It, it's a perfect, iconic story and all that. But like, it is difficult to pick up. You know, the issue where he runs into those kryptonians from the phantom zone or like yeah you know that there, there are or issues Lo- you just, Lois gets the superpowers yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't hand those issues to a first timer i don't think but i think every issue of this you could like my brother brian for example right he's not a superhero guy you know it's just never been his thing um my other brother is but my brother brian is not i handed him super superman birthright one time and he said that was incredible he absolutely loved it and i know that if i gave him this story he'd really love it as well like this is so user friendly and just just go for it like it's yeah it's it's like a textbook literally a textbook example of no this is why i like superman and yeah great really really good yeah, no, honestly, 10 out of 10. I highly recommend it. Everybody, it's All Star Super Fan again on Facebook and Instagram. It's All Star Super Pod on Twitter and at All Star Super Pod at gmail.com if you want to send us an email or a voice note. And uh, please don't forget to leave us a review, especially an Apple review. Um, they really help uh, smaller podcasts like our own. Hey, Rob and Alan, as requested, since you guys shot up the super signal for me. I am here to answer your question about Sergeant Rock in New Frontier, and I've read that several times. It's been a couple of years, but from my memory, Sergeant Rock wasn't a really big part of it. A lot of the war characters weren't. Uh, The main war characters that were part of that story were the losers, and you kind of saw their final fate during the course of the first issue uh, on the Dinosaur Island, which Peter Tomasi returned to during his Superman run, which was, uh, I could go down a rabbit hole of that. I'm not going to, uh, because it just doesn't matter. Uh, and I'm trying to keep this brief, but no, Sergeant Rock wasn't a really big part of that. That was more about like the superheroes of the silver age. Uh, and on the commentary, Darwin Cook said it was more of a kind of a spiritual sequel to the golden age by James Robinson and Paul Smith, uh, which I recommend heartily as that was an excellent series. I just got done listening to your Whatever Happened to the Death of Superman, uh, even though that's not what you titled the episode. Uh, That is uh, what you were talking about, is the aborted Superman film from the late 90s. And uh, on the whole, I agreed with you. I, I, I stand firmly that if it had been made it would have been roundly rejected by Superman fandom. And right about now, within like the past, you know, like 2023 or the couple years before that, there would have been like this complete and utter reevaluating of it from the people that were kids and teenagers when the film came out. Uh, it's, it's just how pop culture evolves. Suddenly one thing is terrible or horrible And then when you have the people who were the right age for the movie when it originally came out, suddenly, uh, you know, you get all these think pieces about how it was originally brilliant. It was actually brilliant, I should say. Uh, I stand on the side that we dodged a bullet. I'm ultimately glad that it didn't get made. 
Uh, I love the documentary you all talked about. I was actually a backer on it on Kickstarter. And Steve Eunice and I had John Schnepp on. Wow, that was during the blog talk radio days of Radio KA Live. Uh, yeah, we had him on twice, and he was a really super nice guy. Uh, and as you said, it's a shame that he passed away. The last thing I'm going to say before this turns into an episode in and of itself is you all made the point that Nicolas Cage looking different from other actors who played Superman would have actually worked. And I agree with it. What I don't agree with is you pointed out, well, Michael Keaton was Batman. And this is where the disagreement lies. I think that the most important visual iconography of Batman is the suit. So it doesn't matter who plays Bruce Wayne. It really doesn't. You want somebody that's kind of charismatic and handsome and such. But the most important thing about Batman is how they look in the suit. The suit is the most important part of that because when you think of the iconography of Batman, it's the cape, it's the cowl, it's all of that. Whereas Superman doesn't have a mask, so there's kind of a standard look for him. Now, that's a little pedantic, uh, but it's kind of where I fall. I, 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 I think Michael Keaton worked as Batman because he was great in the role and the suit looked incredible. So, But that's it. Keep up the great work, guys. I'm sorry this went like four minutes, but uh, I hope it's what you wanted. Bye.